of town. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3 from me, Peter Lewis. Here are the top business and finance headlines for Wednesday the 13th of April. Surging energy and food prices in the United States have sent inflation to a 40-year high. Consumer prices rose 8.5% in March, the fastest annual gain since December 1981. The monthly rise was 1.2%, the fastest jump since September 2005, and a sharp acceleration from February's 0.8% increase. Russian President Vladimir Putin says peace talks with Ukraine have reached a dead end, and he accused Ukraine of deviating from agreements reached in talks in Turkey. He said Russia's military operation will continue, blaming Ukraine for inconsistency in key issues and fake claims about war crimes. The World Trade Organization said that global trade could be cut almost in half and is expected to grow by 2.4% to 3% in 2022, lower than its previous estimate of 4.7% in October due to the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The WTO said the war could could lower global GDP growth by 0.7 to 1.3 percentage points. Sri Lanka said yesterday it will temporarily default on its foreign debts amid its worst economic crisis in over 70 years. The country was due to pay a $1 billion international sovereign bond in July, part of a total of $7 billion of debt payments due this year. Sri Lanka's foreign reserves stood at just under $2 billion at the end of March. And Shanghai saw a drop in new COVID cases on Thursday after 10 straight days of record highs. The financial hub reported 23,342 new local cases for the day, compared with just over 26,000 the day before. However, it was being reported yesterday that authorities are backing away from lifting restrictions in several thousand low-risk areas. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Dickie Wong from Kingston Securities, Carlos Casanova of UBP, and Tony Nash, founder and CEO at Complete Intelligence. The moderation in core CPI initially prompted a rally in stocks on Wall Street and sent US Treasuries higher, but stocks then gave up their gains as the session wore on, with the S&P 500 and Nasdaq falling for a third day. The S&P 500, which was up 1.3% at the high of the day, closed a third of a percent lower at 4,397. The Dow relinquished a gain of over 360 points to close 88 points lower at 34,220. The Nasdaq Composite Index, which was up 2%, declined 0.3%, ending at 13,372. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index fell a third of a percent. Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank led losses for the index, with both falling more than 8% after an undisclosed shareholder unloaded roughly 5% stakes in both German banks. London's FTSE 100 dropped 0.6%, and it was a volatile day for mainland China and Hong Kong stocks, which opened higher before plunging late morning and then staging a dramatic rebound in the afternoon session, with reports 
that the China national team was actively supporting the market. The rebound came amid calls from China's market regulator that firms buy back shares and ask major shareholders to support stock prices amid a sluggish stock market. The Hang Seng Index had slipped half a percent by lunchtime to a four-week low before rebounding to close 111 points or half half a percent higher at 21,319. The Hang Seng Tech Index was up uh, 2.5% in the morning session before dropping 0.8% at lunchtime and then rebounding to close 1.4% higher. The Shanghai Composite recovered from losses of 0.8% to close 1.5% higher at 3,213. Tencent advanced 3.6%. While rival NetEase added 4.2% after China approved new online gaming titles for the first time since July. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil rose almost 6% to $104.87 a barrel. Gold is up close to 1% at $1,966 an ounce. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury notes fell five basis points to 2.73% after hitting 2.83% early in the session. And in the currency markets, the US dollar is stronger this morning. The euro is trading at uh, $1.08.25 cents. The buck's at 125.5 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.30 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 19 cents. And the Chinese yuan is at 6.38 versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin this morning is about 1% firmer at $40,100. Around Asian stock markets this morning in Australia, the ASX 200 up about 0.1%. Stocks in Japan have now opened. The Nikkei 225 about three quarters of a percent higher. The Cosby in South Korea is half a percent higher. But futures markets pointing to a loss of about 70 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 8 or 9, let's welcome our guests. We have with us Dickie Wong, Head of Research at Kingston Securities. Morning, Dickie. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And also with us, Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. Morning to you, Carlos. Good morning, Peter. And over in Texas, in the USA, we have Tony Nash, founder and CEO and Chief Economist at Complete Intelligence. Thanks for joining us again, Tony. Thank you, Peter. Let's start in the US with those inflation numbers. Uh, Surging energy and food prices in the United States have sent inflation to a 40-year high. Consumer prices rose 8.5% last month. That's the fastest annual gain since December 1981. The monthly rise was 1.2%, the fastest gain since September 2005. Excluding food and energy, core CPI increased 6.5% on an annualised basis in line with expectations. Core inflation rose 0.3% for the month. Energy prices, they were up 32% year-on-year. Food prices, they jumped 8.8%. And shelter costs, which make up about a third of the CPI, rose by uh, 5%. Uh, Tony, you're over there in the US, so let's start uh, with with you. Uh, It's hard to find very much good news in this this data, but who who do workers blame for this? You know, I think... um 
a lot of Americans really do see inflation rising as Joe Biden has been in in office. It's accelerated during his tenure. So whether it's uh, his fault or not, uh, he's sitting in the seat while it's happening. Um, There is a lot of um, uh, resource from the White House going into saying that this is Putin's inflation uh, responsibility, uh, claiming that inflation didn't really accelerate until the war started. But um, again, if we look back to the rapid acceleration of inflation, it really started, I guess you could say maybe October. But, you know, we've been we've been at this for a year or so. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think they're they're um, Americans, working level Americans, uh, whether they're working class, blue collar, hourly workers, uh, they're obviously the hardest hit by this. And for uh, workers at, at those levels, it's really looking at, you know, the political issues, not something that's happening on the other side of the world. So what can um, what can Joe Biden do to try and bring inflation under control? What do people expect him to do? Well, I think, you know, one of the really easy things that he could do, which I'm in Texas, so this is a very biased view, but um, since uh, Joe Biden has come to office, he's put a lot of restriction on the drilling and transport of oil and gas. Uh, And so there could be a lot of alleviation of energy prices if the White House would remove the regulations that they put in place on uh, the drilling and transport of oil and gas. Um, the White House also killed a, uh, a pipeline of Canadian uh, crude uh, or a pipeline from Canada that would transport heavy crude to American refineries, which is what's needed for petrol or gasoline here. Uh, and Americans actually don't necessarily use the light sweet crude that's refined or, or drilled, say, in Texas they use the heavy sour crude that's, say, from Canada and from Venezuela. So the pipeline from Canada would have been very, very helpful to keep prices stable in the U.S., energy prices stable in the U.S., uh, but that was that was killed literally on the first day of the Biden administration. Dickie, what, what is the impact for, for markets, and particularly out here? U.S. US markets, they rallied uh, initially because they took some optimism from the fact that the core uh, CPI had declined slightly from from last mm-hmm. month, but then lost those gains. Um, how do you think markets are going to respond to this? Well, in terms of inflation, I guess it's an overall problem, not only in U.S., but basically in everywhere else, also in China. And um, you may say, like, um, Russia um, invasion of um, Ukraine intensified the situation of um, inflation in U.S., but inflation is already there. It's already a problem mm. in U.S. Um, so in terms of the market expectation, I, I would expect, first of all, um, FMOC uh, will probably have another uh, rate cut for like even 50 basis points in May and continue to hike interest rate until the year end. And at the year end, maybe the Fed's target rate will be like at sit at like Point, uh, I mean, 2.75 even at this like re- really uh, high level compared to one year ago. So in terms of the yield curve, well, it's still going on, keep going up. There's no question asked. Mm-hmm. And uh, but already probably the, the market already di- digests this kind of situation. Like 
uh, U.S. may have to continue to uh, hike interest rate. But in, in terms of um, in, in mainland China, it's another thing. And even though China official CPI rose by like 1.5% in March, still below like U.S. CPI or everywhere else in Europe. So expecting uh, that um, PBOC may have some kind of room uh, to like uh, even have an outer round of rate card or like um, triple R card. But um, in terms of the situation now in mainland China, it's, it's pretty dilemma because if they really want to have another round of fresh cuts of like interest rate uh, or even triple R may intensify the situation now because the 10-year bond yield of the U.S. Treasury is slightly higher than um, the same period, I mean, of Treasury in mainland China now. So is it, it may create some kind of money outflow from mainland. Isn't the window is, is the is the window of opportunity for the PBOC <laughs> to go and cut rates? Is it closing? The worst this uh, inflation data gets, it doesn't leave them much opportunity, does it? Exactly. Um, so I, I don't really expect a rate cut uh, in the near term, but maybe I expect a, a triple R cut instead of a rate cut because a rate mm. cut may may create a high pressure of capital outflow. Uh, we have already seen in March, no matter in the bond market, also in the Asia market from the Stock Connect. So people actually getting money out from mainland China. So this is also another reason why recently the Asian market um, underperformed, I mean, even the U.S. market, mm. because the capital outflow. So okay. it's not a good timing for China uh, to have a, uh, like a break cut. But uh, they still have to think about it, what they can do, because capital outflow and um, like intensified, I mean, uh, the situation in in Russia and in Ukraine. So also create another round, uh, serious pressure of the the CPI, uh, I mean, future growth in mainland Mm. Let, let me bring Carlos in. Car- Carlos, this is not an easy situation for central banks to deal with, is it? Because uh, this is not demand-led. This is a, this is a supply shock. Correct. So I, I think what we saw in the market this week was um, some investors <clears throat> pricing in the probability that inflation was um, peaking within the next uh, few months. Um, you know, we, we think it's a little bit uh, early to say um, we are expecting, you know, around 8 to 9 percent inflation in the U.S. in the coming months. Um, and of course, then a gradual descent. But it, it will nonetheless remain um, significantly higher than, than expected um, in 2022. And, and as Tony was mentioning, this will be uh, front and center um uh, you know, with with Biden facing uh, you know elections in the fall, so I, I do think that central banks around the world mm. are going to be very focused mm. in trying to address um, uh, demand the demand um, side factors or drivers of inflation, even um, as they have very little control over the supply side factors. And on that note, just keep mm. in mind that we we have this conflict in, in Ukraine that's leading to supply um, chain disruptions, but. We are already seeing disruptions to global shipments um, through the port of Shanghai following from the lockdown there. Um, so it is um, likely that uh, these supply factors will continue to exert pressures um, in the coming months. So I, in, in my opinion, I think central banks will unfortunately um, you know, remain in, in, in this very hawkish trajectory, even mm-hmm. though they don't have 100 percent control. 
And what does the PBOC do? That's probably the one major central bank in the world that would like to ease monetary policy to uh, to cope with the slowdown there on the mainland. It's it's in a difficult position as well, isn't it? PBOC is in a very difficult position because um, we've we've seen authorities, uh, you know, voice their their um, concerns about uh, the lack of easing uh, quite a few times since the middle of March. And yet PBOC hasn't eased. The risk of outflows um, is real. I mean, we, we saw that uh, China's uh, pre- uh, premium over the U.S. in terms of its um, 10-year yield is completely uh, you know, gone. So any form of easing will exacerbate potential capital outflow risks. Um, but you have uh, inflation creeping up um, potentially above the 3% target set by the PBOC <coughs> at the beginning of the year. So um, the conditions could turn less accommodative um, uh, very quickly. So PBOC has a narrow window of opportunity, in my mm. opinion, to deliver stimulus. Mm. Um, and a triple R cut won't be enough, given what is happening mm-hmm. in Shanghai, given that you know we have minus 40% um, uh, sales in the housing sector, um, and that accounts for a third of the economy. Um, you know, A triple R cut is not going to be enough to get us mm. from... Um, uh, where we are now to 5.5% growth by the end of the year. So unfortunately, um, you know, they, they should be doing a rate cut, even even if um, that exacerbates capital outflows. And even, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if um, the impact of a rate cut might be more muted um, as most people remain, you know, in some form of lockdown, um, so it's less easy to go out and spend money. Um, I think that is something that PBOC has been discussing, it, but it doesn't matter. They just they need all hands on deck in order to reach the 5% um, mm-hmm. growth target by the end of the year and really running out of time uh, given that inflation is rising. Tony, you mentioned energy prices, but of course food prices are also jumping as well. They were up 8.8% uh, over the period. We're seeing global trade slow quite dramatically now, and, and the UN saying that the war in Ukraine is causing a huge leap in food prices. The UN Food Prices Index is at a record high. It was up 13% uh, in March. Are our consumers feeling that as well over in the United States, this, this rise in food prices? Yeah, for, for sure, Americans are feeling the rise in food prices. I think, however, the most acute food price rises will be in places like Lebanon and Egypt and other places that are more directly affected by um, the Ukraine uh, and Russia war. Um, here in the U.S., um, you know, we do have pressure on wheat and corn prices, corn prices or maize prices. Uh, there's upward pressure on those prices, partly because um, the White House just said they want to add uh, corn to fuel here to, in their minds, reduce uh, fuel prices. So there's there's pressure on corn both to feed um, people and for fuel now. Um, and, of course, with proteins, those prices are up as well, double digits. So mm. Americans are feeling it really all around, but not as acutely as some of the people in Europe and the Middle East will as um, some of the pressures from, say, Ukrainian and Russian exports I hit those markets. We've already had an energy shock in many parts of the world. Do you think we're heading for a, a food crisis um, that we're going to see shortages? We're going to see prices soaring and maybe, as, as unfortunately always happens in, in this case, it affects the poorest parts of the world the most. Yes, it does. And I, I, sadly, I think that is the case because, um, because places like Ukraine and Russia do provide so much, mostly Ukraine, provide so much wheat and maize and, and cooking oil 
um, to some of these uh, some of these markets. So yes, I, I definitely think that that is. Uh, are, are Americans questioning President Biden's support uh, for for Ukraine when you see? You know, when you start to see the costs uh, of this of this mounting, you know, they've banned um, uh, American, uh, they banned the uh, Russian uh, oil and gas imports, and that's uh, that's helping uh, fuel price rises. They're seeing the price rises in food. Are, are they starting to question whether or not uh, the U.S. is on the right track supporting Ukraine? Um, I I don't know. I, I know that a number of Americans are have questioned it from the start not that they don't support ukraine but americans are worried about being directly involved meaning sending Mm -hmm. troops to ukraine i think americans generally are are comfortable sending weapons and supporting with that aid but not necessarily with the troops okay um dickie let's talk about the the lockdowns up on the uh, mainland. There was a slight sure. decrease in COVID cases yesterday, but we've had 10 days now of um, record cases in Shanghai. Guangdong, uh, Guangzhou is going, uh, it's gone into a, a partial lockdown um, as well now. And what, what sort of impact is this having on the economy? Well, that's so obvious. Um, the big lockdown in Shanghai may give some kind of like pressure to uh, not only the first quarter GDP, but uh, Indeed, um, the 5.5% annual gain of the GDP, it's probably it's not that uh, easy to achieve. So um, I, I do see some kind of silver linings because like um, China's government recently like uh, added uh, some of the approval of the, 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 I mean, the online and cell phone gaming. And um, also when we talk about um, the first quarter landing also hits record um, to 1.3% trillion before PBOC take any action in the first quarter because last year PBOC cut LPR rate, triple R, but not this quarter. So I would expect, definitely, I do agree that um, PBOC have to take, they have to take some kind of action, uh, like um, seriously to treat the problem, uh, especially the lockdown in Shanghai. And um, 5.5% is not something easy. So they have to, like, you know, no matter fiscal policy, monetary policy, and et cetera. And mm. um, re- regulations have to be eased on, like, um, especially um, some of the tech company. And, um, and let, let me ask you, let me ask you. Let me ask you also, because I want to ask you about the markets as well. I mean, we're seeing a lot of calls now from... Premier Li Keqiang, the State Council to take uh, steps to support the economy, uh, and also from the regulators now uh, to support the uh, the market. The China Securities Regulatory Commission wants uh, wants uh, shareholders to buy back stock. Uh, it wants social security funds, pension funds, trusts, insurance companies to increase their investment in the markets. Isn't this, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Isn't this the regulator going way over their skis here? It's not the job of the regulator, is it, to tell companies <laughs> to buy back more shares and to put public money into the stock market? Surely this is way, way beyond what a regulator should be doing. Well, but in terms of the mainland market, the Asian market, this is probably the regulator will regularly do. <laughs> I know they do it, but it's wrong, yeah. isn't it? Isn't it wrong that the regulator should should do that? It's, it's a sort of almost an outrageous abuse, isn't it? The regulator should be there 
uh, to make sure the market operates fairly and efficiently, uh, to crack down on abuses, but not do this? Uh, you may say so, but um, and the regulators in mainland, they want to, uh, I mean, um, because you, you can see, like, the intensifying the, the tension between China and U.S., um, never gone. And um, also, like, recently, uh, no, no, recently, just uh, yesterday, uh, the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, we call it HSCAA, uh, a fresh round of uh, addiction of a lot of Chinese um, companies, mm-hmm. uh, like more than 12 companies, uh, 12 companies. This is the fourth round already. Uh, it gives some kind of pressure to the ADR markets yes, yesterday in U.S. And definitely some of the ADR may open low, slightly lower today, um, although the pressure may not uh, be as high as uh, the, the previous one or the first round of the addiction of the HSCAA. But uh, because of the tension of, the, of these two countries, China may, may have to do their own thing. So in terms of like um, Grima Li Ka-Chang always comment about the stock market and um, try to interfere the stock market, I, I, I will not say good or bad, but uh, at mm. least it will be mm. some kind of support to the, the local Hong Kong stock market. So I okay. believe Tang Seng Index mm. may find like support at 21,000 because investors may expect or they, they mm. will expect like um, PBOC will, will take action very soon. So yeah, okay. it may help to stabilize the this overall sentiment in Hong Kong market as well as in Asia. Carlos, we've heard Premier Li Keqiang now has issued his third warning about economic growth in in under a week. What what can they do? Mm-hmm. Well, we we do expect um, to see weaker growth in March, um, April, and May. So those will be the, the, the three weakest months. Um, I think that um, in addition to doing more monetary policy and fiscal policy support. Um, the big question mark is will they announce some um, easing of restrictions or at least provide some degree of um, regulatory clarity for global investors on the housing and also tech front. Um, there's a whole, a whole debate uh, uh, around this. Um, recent uh, you know, regulations surrounding um, dual circulation in China point to um, some additional regulatory headwinds for some of these companies. Um, but I think that the issue is not so much regulation, it's more the lack of um, visibility. So they are likely going to at least provide that uh, in the coming weeks. And of course, um, if this contraction is bigger than expected in the first half, and I did use the word contraction because I do think um, that GDP has a chance of, of actually declining in Q2, um, then the, the measure of last resort in order to achieve that growth target would be to effectively reflate the housing sector again in Q4, but we should be back to square one. So I think they will try um, as much as possible to use uh, you know, moral suasion and other channels to try to prop up the economy um, so that the growth doesn't fall off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it is, it is sort of, they are running out of time, and, and we do mm-hmm. hope that they will announce something big in, in, in April. Okay, Tony, final word to you. I know all sorts of things go on on the mainland that perhaps wouldn't go on elsewhere, but when you see the regulator trying to arm-twist companies into buying back their own stock and, and, and get public funds to get the market back up, what, what do you make of that? Yeah, Peter, it reminds me of June of 2015, uh, if you remember when markets on the mainland really fell pretty hard. Uh, there was pressure domestically in China for people to buy shares for a patriotic reason. Even within the Chinese bureaucracy, there was pressure for Chinese bureaucrats to buy shares. So I think they're just doing it out loud now, and they're doing it for the companies themselves. So 
you know, it's it, it. But to me, when I first saw this news, it really was an echo of June of 2015 when markets fell, and there was real pressure on Chinese retail investors uh, to buy the dips and to support the market. And a lot of them lost. You know, I knew people there who lost 20, 30, 40 percent of their uh, of their wealth. Uh, because they were buying patriotically. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a fair warning. Thanks very much. That's Tony Nash, founder and CEO and chief economist at Complete Intelligence. Dickie Wong, head of research at Kingston Securities. Carlos Casanova, senior Asia economist at UBP. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for today. In Australia, the SX200 up 0.2%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan rallying as well up 0.8%. The Cosby is up a third of a percent in South Korea. It does look like, though, the Hang Seng is going to fall slightly, about 50 points or so at the open later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again for the final time this week in a holiday-shortened week. At 8 o'clock tomorrow, stay tuned for COVID updates after the news with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, few showers, going to be hot with sunny intervals during the day, maximum temperature of 29 degrees, mainly fine and hot during the day tomorrow and on Friday. And the temperature right now, 25 degrees, 82% relative humidity. Time's 8.32, here's Andy Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The head of the government's Policy Innovation and Coordination Office says the authorities have expanded its $10,000 subsidy for people who've recently lost their jobs due to COVID. Officials say they've received 470,000 applications for the subsidy. In February, they expected only 300,000 would apply. Doris Ho said that's because more people have lost their jobs. This is partly because uh, more people were out of employment in March uh, when uh, the unemployment situation was uh, worse uh, than uh, in February, and partly because uh, we expanded uh, our scheme subsequently to uh, cover uh, employees uh, working in uh, closed uh, premises uh, such as uh, fitness centers and uh, beauty uh, salons uh, and who were forced uh, out of work by their employers. Medical Association President Choi Keen says the government initiative giving private doctors access to oral COVID drugs will definitely be effective in preventing severe COVID infections. Authorities on Monday said that private doctors could request antivirals through a dedicated electronic platform. Dr. Choi said this is a sensible arrangement. The patients uh, usually see their GP first before they go to the accident and emergency department before they get very ill. So it's the first stage uh, that the antivirals are effective. So if they are seen at the first stage and given the medication, they will not proceed to a very ill stage. So it, 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 it is effective and useful. Police in New York are searching for a man who shot 10 people at a Brooklyn subway station during the morning rush hour. Six others were also hurt, uh, mostly through smoke inhalation. None of the injuries are life-threatening. The New York City Police Commissioner, Keechan Sewell, gave details of the incident. Just before 8.24 this morning, as a Manhattan-bound end train waited to enter the 36th Street station, an individual on that train donned what appeared to be a gas mask. He then took a canister out of his bag and opened it. The train at that time began to fill with smoke. He then opened fire, striking multiple people on the subway and in the platform. He is being reported as a male black, approximately 5 feet 5 inches tall with a heavy build. 
The city of Guangzhou has reported 13 new COVID cases. Health officials in the city say the new infections were linked to previous cases, but they warn that transmissions might have been taking place for some time before the new cases were found, and the next few days will be critical to contain the outbreak. Local authorities have been conducting mass testing to screen out patients. Primary and secondary schools have suspended face-to-face classes.